0: Good morning everybody you ready to go all right um, so like I said last time I'm gonna be here six well, six times minus last time we, we have you know we, we have a thousand hours of things to talk about so we can I really want you you know I'll let you pace me I really love dialogue I love it so um, take me wherever you want to go um, and what I want to do today is talk about how Jesus Christ is prophet, priest, and king, how that necessarily shapes the way in which he's mediator, And it necessarily shapes the mission of the church because we participate in Jesus Christ, right? In his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his mission. So that this, this gives shape to what it looks like for the church to be her holy self. Um, so we'll go through that. If we have time, we might dip our... Dip our toes into union with Jesus Christ, which is just maybe my favorite thing to talk about. Um, so let me pray and off we we'll go. <clears throat> the Lord be with you. And also with you. Holy Father, <clears throat> you have made us in and through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit for yourself, because in your triune holy love. Father, Son, and Spirit, you have um, wished to open up your life and make many sons and daughters and, in fact, make us co-heirs of all that is uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord of, to make us co-heirs with him and that. And so, given that our future is beyond our capacity to take in, and it's goodness and brightness, um, would you lift our hearts? Would you embolden us and strengthen us? Um, And would you continue to um, do and accomplish your holy mission in our hearts to conform us to Jesus Christ? And set us free, um, each one of us, but all of us as a people, as a body, as your blessed bride, set us free from all that encumbers us. You know our hearts better than we know our hearts. And so for each one of us, uh, shadowy places, hard places, um, places that need your holy presence to bind and drive out uh, the things that uh, ail us and cause us to stumble and be afraid. Would you would you remove those? Would you heal and set straight anything that is crooked and painful in us? And would you release us to be that bride who is being removed of all spot and blemish, and full of due holy confidence on mission with you? Would you release us to that end? Because it's the end for which we were made. Let us go with, with your grain rather than across it for our lives. And uh, use this time to that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so last time we talked about uh, Jesus Christ is that one, right, who gathers up those three major um, messianic offices in the Old Testament. Um, those three anointed, right, spirit-wrought offices in the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. You know, you know the, the kind of high point of all of those is Moses, Aaron, and David, right? But all who come as their heirs, Jesus Christ is the one who gathers those offices together, binds them in his person, so they're no longer divisible. They're no longer um, temporal and transferable, so they're no longer abstractable from his person. And um, in fulfilling them, utterly transforms them. Right? He's no longer, um, or, or that prophetic office is no longer what it was with Isaiah, right? Thus saith the Lord, this type of thing, but I am. He transforms him in that way. He's the message and the messenger. He's the word, right? That one who speaks the word of God on behalf of God, as God, <laughs> um, unlike any of the prophets um, before him. So he, there's, a, there's a, a fulfilling of that, but a transforming of it. So he's, he's different in kind and also quality. Right? He's, he's that high priest who oversees his own sacrifice, his own self-offering. He's king, who is the embodiment of the kingdom, basilea. I think uh, Matt Woodley mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. So he's that one. So let, what I want to do today is just go through and talk about what that means for him, what that means for us. Because we never contemplate as living members of Jesus Christ. We never contemplate him outside ourselves, afar off. If we do, what we're doing is we're, we're misimaging who Jesus Christ is, that one who is always for us. We're misimaging who we are. That's the, that's the most important way we could ever begin to self interpret, right? Is with reference to Jesus Christ. If he's, that, if he's that Christ who is far off and distant from us, we're not able to understand ourselves rightly. And so we begin to misimage not only ourselves, but also the body, right? Another way of saying that is there's three big bodies in this world, the body of Jesus Christ, the supremely real body, um, our human bodies and the body who is Christ's bride. His body determines what is real and imaginary about our bodies and the body. (laughs) And if we miss that, boy, that's, that's hermeneutics of reality there. So let me start here with the prophetic office. We're at point three of, I guess, what is page two. Uh, the writers in the Newer Testament are really clear um, and, and say it repeatedly, they don't tire of saying it, that Jesus Christ is the true prophet of Israel. Even when, you know, Matthew 16, when Jesus says, you know, who, who do people say that I am? First and foremost, they say a lot of things, right? Public opinion. Um, but the, what they say right up front is a prophet, right? One, one of the prophets. Um, Peter in Acts 3 is really clear to say this one is the one that Moses prophesied about. Deuteronomy 18, there'll be another like me. Watch for this one and listen to this one. And so when, even when you see Matthew's gospel, Jesus is, you know, there's big scenes of movement and progress in that gospel. And what he's showing often is he's the new Moses, right? He's the better than Moses. The Sermon on the Mount, right? Right where he's determining the ethic of the kingdom. Just like Moses went to the Mount and received the law, right? Jesus is now expositing these things, the new Moses. Book of Hebrews, is, the first three chapters is all about that too, the better than Moses now, right? The fulfillment of Moses. Maybe I should say this too. Um, when we think about the way Jesus fulfills prophet, priest, and king, we don't wanna think in terms of um, abrogating and ending, right? So, so. The theology of the book of hebrews is you know um we don't do animal sacrifices anymore right it's not because jesus christ repudiated them and disliked them the lord gave them and loves them right it's because what he does is he gathers them into himself and he carries them on eternally the full force of them in himself therefore they can never be reduplicated here because they've come to their fullness and are carried forth in him does that make sense so Jesus Christ really is the fulfillment of the Aaronic priesthood. Therefore, we can never make another type of Aaronic priesthood, we're just priests in him now. That, that priesthood is, is eternally fulfilled in him. So back to this. God speaks to ancient Israel by way of the prophets. That's how the book of Hebrews starts, right? Diverse times, diverse ways. God speaks um, to his people the word through the words of the prophet. But in these days, right, in these last days, God speaks in and through his son, right? The one who gathers up all the words of God, who is, you know, the, as Paul says, the yes and amen, all God's promises. And it's really important, and I think we've talked about this a few times, all God's promises, right? Jesus Christ enacts the whole will of God. He doesn't play good cop and bad cop with a, with a father who's different from him behind his back. Does that make sense? Jesus Christ, therefore, is that fullness, that culmination of divine revelation. We're not looking for anything beyond him now. God is going to eternally expand our knowledge of himself. Have you guys ever thought about this? <laughs> Time without end, right? This is what we're gonna be doing. As God opens up his life. We're, we're never gonna exhaust the infinite God, but we're never gonna find that there's a God contradictory to the God that we know. We truly, truly know God, who is always like himself in Jesus Christ. God will continue forever to open up his holy life to us. Scary? (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Um, He is himself, right? The word of God the word of God himself, the exegesis of the very bosom of God. Um, Therefore, supremacy um, in degree and supremacy in kind as the prophet of God, right? What you see, and you see this all over the the place in scripture, Um, a couple of big places is when you think about the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Who, who are the two witnesses to Jesus on the Mount? Moses on one side, Elijah on the other, right? The law and the prophets, right? The law and the prophets bearing witness to this one who, you know, Damascus Road and he, and he takes his bedraggled disciples and shows them how he's the end of the law. All the law, all the prophets speak of him. They have their terminus there. You see this in the Pharisees say, whoa, we've never seen someone speak with authority like this, as he says on point C there. It's been said, right? And now I say to you, and people say, what? I say to you, he's not not doing one of these. It's been said, now let me contradict that. It's been said of God, I say to you as God, right? I say to you these things. He doesn't, like the prophets of old, do something like that. We gotta talk about that picture, haunts me. You know, Isaiah, Daniel, thus saith the Lord. For them to do this would be really problematic. Actually, what it would do is indicate to us that they're false prophets, right? They're not declaring their lordship. Thus saith the Lord. Jesus Christ comes saying, I am. He doesn't say, this is the God you can know and I know the way. He says, I am the way, right? I am that one. John Calvin says, pointy, outside Jesus Christ, therefore, there's nothing worth knowing about God. And all who by faith perceive what he's like have grasped the whole immensity of heavenly benefits. What he's getting at is the way the book uh, Colossians talks, the whole fullness of God's triune deity dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. So to know him is to know the Father and the power of the Spirit, not to know a perspective on God or an aspect of God, a part of God, but to know the whole the fullness of god there let me read it for you let's read the first three verses of chapter two of colossians paul's prayer for us Ah. for i want you to know how great a struggle i have for you and for those at laodicea for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches And full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Jesus Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Therefore, hold fast to the head. That's Paul's argument in in Colossians. Now, what does that look like for us in terms of our partaking in that anointing, right? The church... um, is a baptized people, a royal people who are prophets and priests. This is a gift to the church. This emboldens the church's ability to speak forth the word of God. Don't tie this one to one in terms of the preaching office of the church, which is an exercise of prophetic office, but for the people of God, right? Catalyzed um, by clergy, catalyzed by ordination to set loose the people of God's ability to speak forth the word of God with power, with clarity, with assurance, with boldness. And often, um, on, on, on the fringes of the world, as it was, you know, you speak power, you speak, you speak peace and truth to the world, even as you're a marginalized people by the world. Does that make sense? We've been called to do just that, right? Um, and emboldened to do just that, not as we... Um, or maybe I can say this, as we participate in Jesus Christ's ministry to the church, right? The chief prophet who is not absent but present is always Jesus Christ. The chief minister of the church is always Jesus Christ. When the word is preached, right? It's our collaboration with him, but the word being preached is always the word of the Lord. Does that make sense? Let me unpack it just a little bit. When Jesus calls the apostles to himself, equips them and dows them with the spirit, and then he says, "Um, go and preach. Go not in your name, but in my name, just as I come in the name of the Father, not in your strength, but in mine. By the way, I'll be with you always. Um, And if they hear you, they'll hear me, (laughs) right? That's exactly what it means to hear the word of God is to hear the God who speaks. Paul says to the Thessalonians, right? You, you heard our preaching for what it is, not our words, but the word of the Lord, right? So there's a whole theology of hearing the Bible and um, caring for and taking care to hear Holy Scripture, not as, not as a dead thing and an old thing and something that can be constantly revised in terms of our cultural movements. The word of the Lord endures forever. What that looks like for us is to embolden us all of us in whatever offices that we have within the life of the church to be a people that um, speaks the truth and love, the prophetic word. What do you guys wanna go with that or what do you wanna say about that? mentioned last time, you know, go into all the world, right? Maybe let me do this. I want to show you something. Go to, go to 1 John. Right up front. In the, in the upper room discourse, Jesus says, when he's talking about um, the indwelling of the Spirit, he says, when, the, when this paraclete comes, he will bear witness to me, right? He'll come in my name. He'll bear witness to me. And therefore you will bear witness to me because you have been with me from the beginning, right? This is the apostolic community. Now watch watch what 1 John does. It's really cool. That's how the letter starts. That which was from the beginning. Does that ring a bell? It sounds like in the beginning was the word, right? By the way, it sounds like Genesis 1, too. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and have touched with our hands. To which we could add, by the way, that one whom we have held and tasted and ingested, right? The apostolic community fellowship that he's talking about. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. We've seen it, testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too might have fellowship with us. These are bold claims, boy. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what marks out apostolic community, which is prophetic community. In this prophetic community, all of us, to varying degrees, I know, and varying skills and all that, but it's, but it's a skill and, a, and it's something all of us wanna cultivate. You learn how to say true things about the way things truly are. You speak the Word of God with love and joy and, and due confidence so that so that, that, that um, commissioning, go forth into the world and teach all that I have taught you, doesn't make us. We talked about that last week, right? Not go forth into the world and argue and haggle, but not go forth and be catechized by the world because you're scared to death and ashamed of the gospel, <laughs> scared to speak to the world prophetic boldness, right? The anointing of Jesus Christ. That's, that's a gift to the church and we do it not in his presence, but in his, or not in his absence, but in his presence. We learn how to speak forth the word of God. What are you thinking, Kirsten? Um, okay, one thing we might want to say right off the bat there is, um, and there's lots of things we ought to say in Mass, really. one thing you can say there's, on, on the first level of it, it's a, it's a reading issue, <laughs> right? You, you really can't get to um, same-sex, un, unholy sexual activity from Scripture. You just can't. Um, <clears throat> The church has always known that. The church speaks uniformly about that through the ages. It really does. And so that's a, that's a place to start. So we don't, we don't want to equivocate there. We don't, we don't want to, you know, my doctor father used to say, you know, the Lord turned water into wine. We don't want to practice that grand counter miracle of turning wine back into water, right? We don't want to do that. We don't want to say that which is true is false. Um, what that does, and if you, you guys, do you, do you sense this in yourself? <clears throat> um, when you're made to believe lies, receive lies, or live amongst them, mm-hmm. even if you don't uh, imbibe them yourself, it discourages you, mm-hmm. right? It discourages you, it saps your courage. Um, if you read like Solsonized, and I think he, probably, he talks about that a lot, doesn't he? Um, uh, politi- political realms that force and foist lies, and you know they are, You're made to traffic in them to get by in the world, but it actually just sucks the courage right out of you. Um, I think that's what's happening in our culture, one of those things. So whatever else you're gonna say, you never wanna make a a demarcation or you never wanna be starting to think contradictorily about truth and love, right? Um, The the form that love takes when when it runs with the grain of who God is, is always truth. God is truth. So, we are being made a people of the truth. By the way, (laughs) that hurts. It takes a death and resurrection um, to be made a people of the truth. So, God doesn't even just traffic in truths, that's relatively easy. He's making a people of the truth. So, when we learn to mature here, Kirsten, I do this all the time, almost every day. I have these conversations at one level or another. Um, but I think that what we want to do and what we must do is um, that the pastoral handling of this is um, when people come afraid, confused, um, you don't quibble or deny how they feel or um, that the burden that they may be called to bear is real and heavy. I don't think you'd ever want to do that. But then it's, you know, will you hear the word of God? Um, And will you practice hearing the word of God as good news in the hardest parts of life, the real real hard places of life? So that might be, you know, if I'm experiencing same-sex attraction, but it also might be if someone I love is, and it's ripping the heart out of me, will I capitulate to that in the name of love, which is a lie, or because I love more than to do that, or my love is actually um, more than self-protective (laughs) self-love. Um, I'm going to actually sit in that tension and I'm going to be a person of the truth. We just have to do that. Um, and so with, with all kinds of um, comfort and peace and with all kinds of good news, I think that's one of the big things, too, there is the word of the Lord's good news. The word of the Lord's good news for people who are sexually broken, which I think is all of us, right? Fallen people do all things fallen. All of us are fallen in this way, in different ways, so on and so forth but that's not the grand exception, which our culture is making it to be. What happens with that is um, when when we start to think that, that sexual orientation is a category of personhood, then we put it outside the realm of God's ability to sanctify and redeem it, right? So you can't speak a word of God there. We do that with our own personal narratives, too. Personal narratives for our our culture tend to, we perceive them as sacrosanct, right? You can never critique personal narrative. That means you can't can't speak a word of God or you can't hear a word of God, which means you're hopeless, right? So what we never want to do with that issue is say, um, this is the exception for which the word of God isn't the word of God, nor is your struggle the exception which somehow makes you a different kind of human, maybe sub. That that one, that one cuts both ways, right? As soon as you make that a category of personhood, it cuts both ways. It's just not that. Um, it's a real struggle in which the Lord is present in all of his mercy and the word of the Lord is good news, really good news. And so, and then I'll stop. <laughs> a lot I want to say about this. I think the church treats this often as I have some really bad news for you, right? We, we we talk. We, we, we carry the gospel as if it's bad news to the world. Um, and we also sometimes do this, right? Go into the world saying, no, no, yuck, ew, right? When in fact, what we to think about is um, the gospel is God's astounding yes to the world and all of her contortion and distortion. And when we think about the way in which we have were sexually fallen and have fallen sex and so on and so forth. It might be so good for us to say, did you know, right, that, that your sexual appetite which is a gift from God is a, is made to teach you to long for God and find God, <laughs> right? So it has to be sanctified according to the word of God. It just has to be or else what it'll do because it's so good. That which is really good. Have you guys ever thought about this? That would the best things in life. Are the things by the way that are lightning rods for attack and proportionate to how good they are is their ability to wield damage sex is a gift of god you think sex has ever hurt the world in myriad ways right there's just so many ways if you won't steward this gift it'll get you right if you won't if you won't if you won't carry it out and be creative with it in ways that accord to the word of God, it'll rise up and eat you. Have you guys ever read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't carry out your creatio continua according to the way God images the world, that which you make will rise up and, and kill you. <laughs> right? The real monster is Victor Frankenstein, right? But the work of his hands kills him. Because he will, not, he will not image God in his creative activity. Sex is the same way. Does that help a little? But that is a, that is a place where we've got, we've got to speak the word of the Lord. And sometimes, by the way, the word of the Lord is received there with um, just utter contempt. And so that, too, is part of it. Um, in this world, you will have tumult. <laughs> promise of God, right? It's a promise of God. I don't like it very much, but I experience it all the time. In this world, you'll have tumult. Be of peace. I have overcome the world. If they hated you, it's because they first hated me. Those Meditate on that. You want to make sure, right? If the world hates you because you're an idiot, own it. <laughs> and we're certainly not above that. <laughs> None of us are above that. That, that isn't... That's not a free pass. Well, it's just because I'm a Christian. Well, you might be an idiot in this instance, right? But when you speak the Word of God um, and the world hates you for it, count it all joy, right? It takes a lot of maturity and just a lot of practice and strength and we're gonna get we're going to get that practice and are getting it. So I... Would, by the way, that's one way, even right here, where we can, we can practice the prophetic word. When you, when you get beat up in your relationships, right? And you, we learn to speak the word of the truth to one another because you guys know that issue again. When the church gets tottery there, um, do you ever feel discouraged by that? The church getting tottery? Or when your friends start to get tottery there? They're not carrying out the prophetic ministry and not strengthening, we're not strengthening one another as the body of Jesus Christ to, to live well and um, to live purposefully and with holiness and joy in the world. So it's, it saps our strength. Can I go on to the priestly? Yeah, Allison? yeah. Um,
1: so as you're, as you're talking about uh, Mm-hmm. Often, what I've seen, even in Christian circles, is that you are actually set as Jack's opposed, where you have the missionaries over here looking at the church saying, You never do anything, and then you've got the church looking at the missionaries saying, You aren't going to cover the church and you're not, you're not priests and you're not acting as priests, and they almost set it up like it's this conflict. So, how do you live in the holy tension in between? <laughs> um, because I think it's it's sometimes it feels like a pain. Like sometimes you swing over here it's totally like prophetic. Yeah. All speaking of the word with oldness, sometimes you swing over here. Yeah. It's all priestly and let's build things. Yep. And so it's yeah, how do you how do you
0: So in our diocese we call it like Pauline and Petrine, right? Right. Or, right. Or and that. Like the Petrine
1: is like what we and what even more like Gregory House is about. Um but then there and it's easier I think growing up in Petrine to see the benefits of Petrine. You know, yeah. We all know that Pauline are a little bit crazy. Uh, and Slash, we all know that they don't really want to make any issues. So let's stick to what we know. But talk to you totally. actually totally. both? We
0: absolutely need each other, right? I am very much, as you can probably tell, Petrine, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I love, I have great appreciation, great appreciation for, for Pauline do I sometimes think, man, that's wacky. I, I, or I lack vision, right, for, for this type of thing. So really there, it's, it's, it's complementarity and tension within that, right? The church has to be missional, the church has to have vision. Um, at the same time, um, if we outrun, how can we say it else? And if we outrun the substance of the gospel and the structure of the gospel, then we actually lose our ability to minister to the world. Um, and so, so, so creativity and novelty are categorically different, right? You never wanna be novel. You do want to be creative, right? And what, what allows you to be creative is actually structure. Our culture doesn't usually see that, but think, think about creation. And God separated this from this and this and this, and he made rhythms and patterns and boundaries for all of creation. <laughs> in which to be creative. As soon as we lose boundaries, um, we, get, we get afraid and we don't have the ability to be creative anymore. We can only be chaotic. And so you wanna be really, really um, careful with that. Where the church goes, the church always plants. I mean, it's just clear in scripture. And by the way, where missionaries go where there is no church, they just get savaged, right? Emotionally in every, every way because they run ahead. Another way you might want to think about that, not in terms of global mission or anything like that, but just in terms of um, this tension that we inhabit, we're called to, we must adapt in our culture, right? Um, not in ways that we're like a wax nose, but we have to be adaptive to our culture. But we can never adopt our culture. It's that tension of, you know, in and of the world, right? We're not called to be of the world, but we are called to before the world for the life of the world. If we can't adapt to our culture, if we don't know the ways in which our culture thinks and we're not, you know, we're not keen to those things, we can't adapt. We get real insular and and ghetto-like, right? But if in the process of that we adopt, um, we fall in love with um, the things that the world is enthralled with, um, um, we are no longer demythologized by the word of God, right? then what happens is we ad- is, is we adopt the world. Broadly speaking, I might say something like, well, I can say it in here, right? Um, tech, Episcopalian Church. They're really good at adapting, right? They also have adopted. They don't have a word of life for the world. What they actually do is they mimic the world in this weird kind of Christian, Christian-ese, right? But but the substance of that is actually the world, right? We're not that. We want to make sure that we're able to um, hear the world, empathize where we ought, sympathize where we ought, and always speak um, a prophetic word there and, and live in that tension. Does that help? Yeah. <clears throat> are, you, are you... You're like a you're Pauline. I don't know.
1: I think one, one question. Yeah. Well, sure. Uh, which maybe shows that Paul and that, but is it possible for? Because I think most of the time we think that, okay, that church is Paul and that church is Petra. Mm-hmm. If it's meant to be this, uh, this interplay, this yeah. complementary relationship, <clears throat> is it possible for there to be a Paul and Petra church?
0: I, I I think so because what we're what we're doing there is when we're talking about the body, right? We in this local body are members, right, arms, legs, fingers, right, so on and so forth. This constitutes this local body. But then, when you talk about the the church global or the church um are there are there types of local congregations there that aren't independent? There's no such thing as an independent church, right? One holy, catholic, apostolic church. An independent church doesn't doesn't discern the body. Just like us, we aren't independent. Indi- individualism is, is a heresy, right? So, so there's individuality is lovely, right? You're, you're you, really you, right? But you actually need me to discern you. <laughs> We're individuals that live corporately embodied ways. Local churches are like that too. So I think there are churches in the city, for instance, that just have a niche and a knack for doing certain things really wonderfully um, and that can, there's a whole host of reasons why that might be even just demographically they're full of 30 year olds or 20 28 year olds that don't have kids and so and they're and they're, you know, they're really able to be spontaneous and so on and so forth. But then they have things that they need help with. <laughs> right. So I, I do. I think that I even think that when you think about the church global, there are certain expressions of Christianity that do things really well and you can learn things from. Right? Like, you think, you think you can learn things from Rome? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, <clears throat> or, or the Eastern Orthodox tradition. It's a magnificent tradition, right? You can learn things there and we have ways in which we can um, foster and st- mutually strengthen the body. <clears throat> Let's talk about the priesthood. Jesus Christ is priest. Um, that consists primarily in two things, you guys, right? He is this once for all sacrifice. On the basis of that, he is our everlasting intercessor. It's so glorious, (laughs) Jesus Christ ever lives to make intercession for us. Remember, he's not the eternal groveler. He's the second person of the Trinity that brings you right up front, right? Precious stones in the ephod and says, Father your people, the many sons and daughters, as the, our eternal triune joy has opened up in generosity and hospitality. Here are the many sons and daughters that I've sanctified in myself for you. By the way, <clears throat> as I've entered the virgin womb and come forth from the virgin tomb, have you guys ever seen that? Luke 53, Luke twenty-three fifty-three, 53. And he, ent- he exited from a tomb from which no one had ever been laid this utterly unique one right mm-hmm. what does he do he take he come he, he's he comes from the earth and perforates heaven with earth binds heaven and earth together mm-hmm. father the cosmos that you have made through me and for me I've sanctified unto you and I offer it to you mm-hmm. right the entire cosmos a thought you guys know right now right the whole the whole cosmos is just expanding like this right It's doing this, it's getting bigger, it's getting bigger. Is there an anticipation of something? (laughs) When you think biblically, Genesis, right? Be fruitful and multiply, have dominion over the earth, right? The great commission, it's a reiteration of that. New creation, go forth into all the world, make disciples, proclaim all that I've taught you. Do you hear it? Be fruitful and multiply eschatologically the entire cosmos which is mine right not one square millimeter of it is not mine says the lord jesus christ and you my co-heirs go explore create be creative have dominion settle bring forth my glory right it's cosmic it's awesome He is that one who holds together and binds together all things in himself toward, toward their eschatological f- fulfillment. He has taken away every impediment um, that, would, that would rupture and disrupt relationship between God and us as our high priest. He's taken away everyone. And as the book of Hebrews says, right, he's made a new and living way of access in his body into the very bosom of the father where we are with him. He transforms the Aaronic priesthood and makes us in himself a kingdom of priests, right? A royal priesthood. Now, back to this issue of you know, individualism. <clears throat> we're not, and how are well, 12 of us in this room, we're not, we're not 12 little priests running around, you know, arbitrarily throwing up offerings to our Lord in Jesus Christ, he's constituted a royal priesthood. The the human worship that the Father delights in and loves is gathered up in Jesus Christ, (laughs) right? All of humanity's worship is gathered up in him. He gathers us up in himself, sanctifies our prayers, sanctifies our very persons, and offers them to the Father in his own adoration, eternal adoration of the Father. We exercise the priesthood in him. Right, and with him. Is there a sacrificial dimension to our priesthood? I think the reformers got way too, uh, they, they, they be clouded this a little bit for us. And all the talk of you know, someone like Kelvin, you know, about the, the, the table up front. Is it a table or is it an altar? Right, and a lot of polemics of, of reformed or reformational theology. It's not an altar, it's a table. Isn't it both? Who's making sacrifice there? It's us, right? There's a priesthood to to undertake there. What we're not not saying is this. This is a big issue of the Reformation. Jesus Christ crucified, raised, ascended, right? To bring us to where he is. We're not doing this. Taking him down, right? Putting in reverse ascension, resurrection, and re-offering him as a crucified, propitiatory offering. We're not doing that. Him, crucified, raised, and us in him, ascended and us in him. Now we offer ourselves living sacrifices. We are a priesthood, right? Jesus Christ died once for all. We bear a cross in him. We can't die that death, and and it certainly isn't recapitulated. But what it does is it offers up for us that, that we are to offer the whole of our lives, the whole of ourselves as living sacrifices. This is our priestly service, right? And we are a kingdom of priests in this way. If you think about our liturgy, Sunday to Sunday, you'll see it, right? First, what we do is we, well, let me back up. First, what we do is we hear the word as a priest do. Because if you read the Old Testament, priests that don't hear the word but offer sacrifices, our Lord says, those are gross to me, right? First we hear the word, then we confess the good news, right? We receive the forgiveness of sins. By the way, that's a priestly ministry, right? That's, that's why deacons don't pronounce pardon, only, only priests do in that sense. It's priestly ministry, then what do we do? We share the peace, we're doing our priestly work, then comes the offering, right? What's, what's the first wave of our, of our priestly service and the giving of our whole selves? Our financial giving, right? Then comes from the congregation, the royal priesthood comes the wine and the bread, right? It comes from the people because we are a priesthood. Then together, right, in this context, this is the context in which we offer ourselves to our Lord. Lift up your hearts. That's where we start, right? We lift them to the Lord. It's good and right to give thanks and praise. What we're doing there, what we're being taught to do week to week is participate and enter into a priestly office. And it really is sacrificial. It's lovely. Let me stop. Let me stop there. Um, do you guys want to say anything? I'm utterly disruptible. So don't ever, don't worry about that. No, no problem whatsoever. I love it. In fact, what this does, you guys, the Lord's table is, is, it's the datum point that teaches us something about the whole of our life, right? What it looks like. We learn it there. We learn, we learn to think sacramentally about the world right there. We learn all of these things for the go into the world in peace to rejoicing in the power of the spirit to carry on your priestly ministry, right? And the rhythms of grace are always this sending and coming, sending and coming, never sending, never to come back, right? Never coming, never to leave sending and coming, sending and coming. The Royal priesthood, we give the whole of our lives, offer ourselves living sacrifices to the Lord. And you you really do want to think comprehensively (laughs) about that. For instance, You know, some of you are married, a lot of you will be married. Um, Is marriage a dimension where you offer yourself as living sacrifice? (laughs) Child rearing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Those who are called or circumstantially are celibates, right? Do you offer your body as a living sacrifice? Holy unto the Lord. Yes. Right? In your places and stations of life, yes, 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 everywhere, yes, right, this is this is your holy, noble calling and service to, to, to be a royal priesthood, to do that, and to offer all of this up in the Lord as it's gathered up in Jesus Christ, and given to his Father, sweet sacrifice, could yeah, you,
1: could you speak a little bit to the, the relationship?
0: Mm. yeah so melchizedek says where are we genesis 14 right we see melchizedek and then psalm 110 and hebrews Um, melchizedek is this really interesting character in that he he is he he's in anticipation of the coming together of 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 king and priest right we see it he, he anticipates it He comes, as a lot of these ancient commentators say, rightly, he comes, his his backgrounds are mysterious, right? And he has no end. But what we see is the father of faith, the father of all of us, faithful Abraham, submits himself to this priest, um, the king of Jerusalem, right? The king of Salem, the king of peace. He comes and he receives Abraham's offerings. Um, What the, book of Hebrews does is it says Jesus Christ is a is a is a the fulfillment of the Levitical priesthood but according to the order of Melchizedek without end no transference um, no end to this one he ever lives as Hebrews says he ever lives um, to make um, intercession for us and he saves us to the uttermost right because he's just this one Your background's Roman Catholic, right? I don't offend you when I do this. No. I, wanna, I, wanna make so, I wanna make some distinctions here because I, I think in some of these areas, um, I mean, that's our tradition, right? The Western church all comes from that medieval Western tradition. Um, there's so much good here. There's so much that the Reformation did good. There's some things we missed big time, by the way. And we wanna affirm both of those because that's our thing, right? Holy Catholic, holy evangelical. Um, what someone like Luther or Calvin would say is this is, this is what happened in late medieval Catholicism. Um, Jesus Christ was seen as someone who instantiated and was the datum for a, for a new Roman priesthood, which was a, a propitiatory, sacrificial, mediatorial priesthood. He'd say basically it's it's the Levitical priesthood redivivus, right? Jesus Christ is the datum that allowed that. And what happened with this priesthood is it was taken from the people of God and and just clericized, There was a clerical monopoly on it. Okay. I think that's pretty good. How and there's a multiplication then of mediators, right? Which which less is more in that situation. What happens with Protestantism sometimes is it throws baby out with bathwater mm-hmm. here too. One thing is, we're a priesthood of believers. Yes, we are. But that what that doesn't mean is, without any shepherds, <laughs> without any clerical oversight to catalyze the priesthood. Right. So that looks like a chaotic mess. Rome would say, "Have fun with that. Welcome to chaos." They're right. Totally right about that. It's an absolute mess. Um, you, you need an ordained office to catalyze and call forth and guide and shepherd all of these gifts, right? So we get that, there's a priesthood of believers, but, uh, and, and that's, a, that's an opening up of that office. But at the same time, we've been scared to death of priesthood. Lots of you, if you haven't been raised, say Anglican, when you hear priest, your, your initial connotations probably aren't good. Priest, right? You guys have priests? Right? <laughs> um, priests are old and you know, that's outdated and the Lord's put an end to that. And then what we lose is, oh, well, that means if you don't even have ordained priests and that means you just forfeited your priesthood, which is precious to the Lord and a gift to you. If you deny it there, you're definitely denying it in yourself. What that also means, I mean, that has everything to do with Christian life. What it also means is, uh, I wanna get into this, an intercessory office. We are to be intercessors one to another. So think about confessions, for instance. That's one way in which you can think of intercession. Most evangelicals don't have that. Scripture teaches it, right? Confess your sins one to another, right? It's absolutely magnificent. We've forfeited that and we we think it's because, because we're not Roman Catholic or something like that. Luther had a confessor. He confessed his sins you know, to his confessor weekly, his pastor, Buchenhagen. Um, I think I mentioned this last week, but Bonhoeffer makes the point in life together that we, we have to have a gospel-formed confessional um, in the church because it's an office that's been given to the church to exercise. So there's problems both of these ways, right? Like I say, if you, if you read Reformational polemics, that is a table. It's never an altar. It's both. It's both, it has to be both. It's the table where we sit as a, as a royal priesthood and sup with our Lord. And it's the place in which we learn how to give our lives as living sacrifice. Let's think about intercession. Priest- priesthood is sacrificial and, and intercessional, right? There's one mediator. <laughs> we're not mediators. But we're intercessors as a, as a community of, um, of Jesus, in Jesus Christ, the priesthood in Jesus Christ. So what does it look like to give intercession? Well, think about, for instance, the prayers of the people, right? The, the prayers of the, the prayers of, we could call it the prayers of the priesthood if we wanted to. What are we doing there? We're interset, We're interceding, right? For the church and for the world. We're acting as a priesthood who is called to be salt and light for the world. But then if you think, if you think even you know, now more congregationally, you have, you have been recipients of the pardon of God, right? The peace of the Lord be with you, and also with you now. Share the peace with one another. That's ironic blessing is what it is, right? Where we reach out one to another, embrace one another, speak the words, of the gospel to one another, holy love. But you can also think of it like this, in an in intercessory office calls into light from darkness and into warmth from cold you guys know when you guys sin almost assuredly one of the things you do is you you break from at one degree or another you break fellowship with the people who are closest to you you start to do this it might be really pronounced but more than likely it's not it's just a little bit does that make sense the more used to that we get then we start to just scurry along the walls of life (laughs) where all the shadows are right this is what intercessory office does. It says, come into the light, the light who is Jesus Christ, come into the warmth, bask in the warmth, um, let whatever ails you be seen in the light and be dis- its power be dissipated and be brought into the sphere of holy love where God is. We exercise within, our, within, the, within the local body, we exercise the priestly office by that. We learn how to, Hold each other, steward each other, hear each other's confessions, right? Pronounce the realities of the gospel upon one another. Because we need that, don't we? Like it's one thing, and you—we all have to learn how to do this, right? You—you you learn how to—you you learn how to preach the gospel to yourself, right? But you guys know when we—when you wrestle, if you—if you're alone and you're wrestling, boy, you're—you're in a—you're in you are in a, you're in a precarious place, right, you can be overtaken that way. It's such a good thing to, to come and have someone who, who knows how, and we gotta talk about that in a minute, to hold you carefully, right? Because that's a real vulnerable place, to hold you carefully, to hear you, to listen to you, to speak what's true and write about you, because we get real confused about that in the dark, and bring the good news of the gospel Right, and all the call and claims of, of our Holy Lord to us right there. That's an exercise of the intercessory office of the priesthood. Now it can look like, right, Ash Wednesday's coming up, confessions, right? And this is another way in which the, the, the clerical office, the ordained ministry, then helps and teaches how to catechize and, um, and um, catalyze the church so that we know how to do that one to another. No, what I'm not saying is um, every time someone asks how you are, just you know, vomit and spew and bleed all over them <laughs> in the name of honesty, right? Well, you asked. You said, how, you said, how are you doing? Um, I don't mean that, and that's, that's unwise, right? <clears throat> but within the body of Christ, you, you, you find people, and we're all called to grow in this, you find people who are wise and know how to hold you well, right? Um, and exercise that priestly office. It's what we're all... Hopefully, right, and we're all called to move toward so we can learn how to confess our sins one to another. We can all learn how to exercise the intercessory office of our priestly calling, which is just lovely. It's a gift from God to us, a gift from God to the church. What do you guys want to say about that? Anywhere you want to go, because I know there's a ton here.
1: has Never experienced hmm. that kind of fishing
0: uh, community. <clears throat> there are so many challenging directions it can head to the there are of, like oversharing on the point of being overly confessional or whatever it is. Yeah,
1: done. I'm thinking especially about young students' sorts of communities where there, there can just be that intensive pendulum. So either we're all isolated or we're all
0: way too open. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the college dorm, right? Yeah. You come into your eight o'clock class, I was up all night yeah. talking through all the, I, I, yeah. I know. <laughs> it sounds like lots of you know. I know, that's, that's something I teach my students. You know, there are those instances where like, are you in danger of harm, harming yourself? Maybe this has to be dealt with right now. 99% of the time it's, can we, can we table this for now? Um, can we get back to it tomorrow morning? And can we, can we go and get sleep? Um, and not let um, these troubles, which are real, but not let them just upend us and, 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 and ripple effect into all of our days and things like that. So I think that takes some perspective and, and, and whatnot. I think in, in a community like it's all different kinds of communities, right? If, if we're talking about churches, you know, planting and stuff, I think it has to start with teaching and it has to start with modeling, right? It has to start with a, with a clerical office. Um, if it's something like a college dorm, where you're trying to, to, to bring this to, or, or you know, a, a group of, you know, something like that, I think where it's got to start is um, learning how to live into that tension of um, being honest um, and learning how to helping each other learn how to disclose well, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then, and then, learning as an as an exercise of discernment to whom you can do that, because even within a, within a community, right, a dorm floor, there are people you do not want to do that to, right. <laughs> um, and it takes time, right. There's, there's you, you can you can speed those things up way too quickly. And Chad, you probably can, you want to speak to this. How much to self I mean, just you know, from from your own. Background: um, How how you healthily share with people, um, disclose, and 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 um, how do I want to say it? Maybe learning the difference between secrecy and private. That's a hard thing in our in our culture. There's lots of things that are private, right? You don't want to be exhibitionist, um, but that's different than secrecy. Secrecy generally destroys you. Mm-hmm. Privacy actually helps you. Steward yourself, right? You're being perforated by the entire world all the time. Is it, it actually undermines your personhood? But, Madeline, I think that's a start. And I also think, um, I think that how you want to carry yourself, um, the goal there in exercising your own your own priestly offices, um, truth, hospitality, right, generousness of heart. And I think, if I think, if you if you love people and people know you love them, man, you can really, <laughs> you can really, t- you know, take some holy liberties with them. You can really say hard things to people if, as long as they know, like I'm safe with you, and I'm confident that you love me and you have my best interests in mind. I think you can really do that, boy. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Jesus Christ is king. How much time we got to do this? Jesus Christ is our king. And we are, by the way, not princes and princesses, per se, um, in that kind of folk theology way. <laughs> um, we're a company of royal prophets and priests. We're, we're royal people, right? Our Lord is king. Really important. Um, Jesus Christ maintains that that he's king and that his kingdom is not of this world. It doesn't mean his kingdom isn't embedded in this world, established and growing and, and maturing in this world. It doesn't mean that. It's just not rooted in this world, right? It's not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, right, Peter would be grabbing swords and lopping off not only Malchus's ear, but everyone else that opposed Jesus, right? If my kingdom was of this world, says our Lord, my disciples would be gathering arms to themselves. We could just as easily say something like this: if if my kingdom was of this world, my disciples would be utterly enthralled in the political structures of the day and being dog whistled by every every politician that runs across their purview and be hyper politicized. We struggle with that, right? Doesn't mean you can't be involved and informed about those things, but what it does mean is that um, Jesus's kingdom isn't rooted in the politics of this world. It is a political kingdom, it's a king of a kingdom. Of course Jesus has politics, of course he does. Um, but it's not grounded or established on rightist or leftist politics. In fact, it's, it's equidistant from both. Jesus Christ judges and reforms and transforms all of that, <laughs> right, all of it. So to be, to be royal in this way means we should just drive the world crazy. In so much as um, uh, amidst all the tension that we lived, we refuse to be dog whistled. Right, we refuse to be that, and we refuse to um, compromise and, and, and learn to um, settle for what we call the best of, you know, the best of evils or the least of evils or something like that, as if we're to make friends with anything evil. Um, there's a book. Um, John Davidson, he's a professor at the University of Virginia. It's called uh, How to Change the World. And he makes the point. It's it's really interesting. As um, since 1976, Jimmy Carter era, um, the church in America has poured billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars into the political machine of American politics. All the while, we've um, we've um, divested ourselves of, of of what we could have if we would hear Jesus. Render to Caesar what Caesar's, right and invest your treasures where you ought to invest treasures, right? So you think about, think about our parish, for instance, right? Or parishes. The parishes would say um, we're going to invest in terms of infrastructure, mission, and the building up of local church. Um, and nobody in, our, nobody in our parish is ever gonna abort unless they absolutely refuse to be helped, right? Um, we'll take your babies. No vets are going to sleep under bridges, we'll help you, right? And there is tutoring, and there is housing, and there is those things. Um, people who need seminary training and so on, they're going to get it. We actually could do that, We actually could do that. Um, the Church in America um, um, gives up its calling so often because, it, because it's under the impression that whoever's, at, whoever's in Air Force One is going to tell us if it's okay to be Christian or not, as if the church didn't flourish under Nero and you know, Napoleon or whatever, right? No political powers can tell us um, we can or cannot be the Church, <laughs> right? Um, we have a different, we have a different Lord. We have a different politic. Freeing, I think, really freeing. The crucified exalted Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, even right now, right, waiting for the full manifestation, eschatologically, of this. But even now, possessing. Dominion, Right. Dominion. He governs his church, he protects her. He bestows upon her every spiritual good according to the nature of his kingdom. Right. You you see, you see where I am. I hope three, three points from the bottom on this page. Ephesians one. When Jesus ascends, Paul says in Ephesians, he pours forth on his church the fullness of the gifts of the spirit. Not on one person, right? Jesus Christ possesses the full gifts of the spirit. Um, And so does his church. Not every member of that church, right? But his church. That's kingly benefits, right? You're seeing it right there already, him exercising that kingly benefit. What Jesus Christ does now, as we're moving toward the eschatological manifestation of um, the city that holy city that descends, right, is he's emboldening his church so that she can flourish and even overcome <laughs> triumph, right, in her embattled situation. You guys know um, that's a hard tension to live in, right, to be at peace <laughs> amidst the tumult of the world and also to, um, to have an understanding of the world where you actually need to hear Paul, for instance, about the armor of God put on your helmet, right, your shield, your spear, like that, that's, a, that's a realistic understanding of the world. The world isn't benign and certainly isn't benign to our Lord or his church, right? And so we can never go rogue here, right? We're real residents. Um, we're planted here. We're meant to be here. We're not just kind of passing through and we're not saying things like, you know, when I look upon Jesus, the things of the world grow strangely dim. I think we're saying something like, when I look upon Jesus, the world grows strangely clear. Right, so that I can live in it and I can live purposefully in it. But there's that tension. We're at peace, um, but we're girded, <laughs> our loins are girded, right? We're, we're clothed for um, battle. I got a couple quotes here I want to read to you because they're lovely. No matter, I'm on the last page. No matter how many strong enemies plot to overthrow the church. They do not have sufficient strength to prevail over God's immutable decree by which he appointed his son eternal King. Henceforth it flows, it follows, I'm sorry, that the devil with all the resources of the world can never destroy the church, founded as she is on the eternal throne of Jesus Christ. So so we never wanna have these kind of conversations like, does the church have a future? you know those kind of conversations we have? We can have those when Jesus Christ descends from heaven, crawls back into the grave and never comes out. Then we can have those, right? Um, A better conversation is this, does the world have a future? Right, so so the kingship of Jesus makes it so um, we can with all compassion say, have you looked at the world lately, right? addicted to everything, right? Um, depressed, anxious, um, spending itself into an oblivion. The world has no future outside of Jesus Christ, none. The world has a future in and with Jesus Christ and the church, now this doesn't mean obviously individual churches, lampstands get removed and they just will not hear the Lord Jesus, right? The tired West, we're seeing it, right? The church will never be overcome because Jesus has risen from the dead. Wow, I lost it. I wanted to say something. Maybe I'll come back. In this way, Jesus Christ's kingship rouses us, right? And teaches us to cry maranatha but teaches us to cry maranatha as we put our hands to the plow, right? Because Jesus Christ's kingship is not of this world, the blessings of that kingship do not often consist of outward advantages. Think about some of these things. We're all prosperity gospelers in our culture. <laughs> just a matter of how much, right? Don't you guys think you're, you're constantly being disabused of this? Because I am. I thought if I, I thought if I was a, Christian and you know everything would just work out well for me like why why am I experiencing hardship and resistance in my life you guys feel like that don't you <laughs> what does the gifts of, of um, Jesus Christ's kingship look like not necessarily or maybe a different kind a peaceful life not a peaceful life by the standards of the world we've never been promised that my peace I give to you we have been promised that amidst the tumult of the world right rich possessions i i'm assuming that all of us in this room have made a studied um, resistance of how to avoid monetary wealth given what you're doing right now i have i trust most of you have to all of you we have not been promised monetary wealth right safety from harm that's hard right Um, in in a culture that that prizes, almost above all things, being safe. Our Lord has not promised that to us. It's a hard thing to, to grapple with. In fact, what he has said is, just as I have been afflicted in body and soul, that's the shape in which my kingdom takes, right? And so this cross that I bear that you cannot, you'll never be a propitiation for the sins of the world. You're never called to that. You should never presume that you are. You can't even do that for yourself but I give you a cross to bear. My burden's light, right? It will not crush you. It will not crush you, but you will feel it and you will be conformed to it, right? It's what it means to be conformed to me. So that, right, we may learn to live in triumph under the shadow of the cross The blessedness of Jesus Christ's kingdom and us being a royal people consists in the fact that as we participate with him as that people, we're partaking even now in all the benefits of the kingdom, anticipatorily, all the benefits of the kingdom, so that we stand unconquered through the strength of our king. I want to read you a quote, but I remembered what I wanted to say. This is, what, this is the kind of temptation we have. Can you, can you wear this and feel it? This is the old humanity, east of Eden, right? This is the new humanity. Jesus Christ raised from the dead, right? The first fruits, the pioneer, right? He's the first one to enter into the telos of what humanity will be with his church. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. The big temptation we tend to have as when we, when we start to worship in wrong ways, uh, relevancy and things like that as, 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 as a new humanity, we tend to say, what would it look like for the church to be relevant to the world? And we're tempted to fold over the new humanity on top of the old and say, determine for us, shape us to yourself, conform us to yourself and teach us how to be relevant according to what you think is relevant, rather than saying, This is the datum point, right? This is the eschatological datum point of everything good that ever will. You need to be conformed here, right? Calling here rather than doing this. Just another way of saying adapting and adopting, right? But um, do you guys, relevant, that word, it's awesome. Relevance, right? It means to lighten a load. That's what it means to be relevant, to lighten a load. We think it means to talk about whatever's trending or something like that, right? So that's a real temptation of the church to say, man, how can we, right? If if the world loves Starbucks and sports events and concerts, how can we be more like the world so that the church will love us? Or so the world will love us. A, the world will never love you on your own terms, but you know that right up front. And B, that's never what we're called to, and the world's entertained to death already. And so it's never our call to be like grade C, any of these things that the world does so well, right? But it's actually to call the world forth into something strange. You guys get that? I mean, I I was a young adult convert. I I know, like coming into the church and being like, whoa, (laughs) what is this place? Where am I? And this is amazing. It's very, very odd to me but wow is this amazing because I'm so sick of all of that right like I really don't want the church to be them all I'm so sick of them all and I'm so sick of you know these things I'm sick to death of them that's part of what it means for the church to be royal in this way let me read this quote from Calvin because I just love it I think it's so good it's arousing we may Patiently pass through this life. Hear the realism here. With its misery. Not this miserable life. That's not the same thing. This blessed life. That is not excluded from misery. (laughs) All of us know this. Hunger. Cold. Contempt. Reproaches. Other troubles. Content with this one thing. That jumps out to me content with these 80 things, content with this one thing that our king will never leave us destitute, but will provide for our needs. Until our warfare ended, we're called to triumph. Such is the nature of his kingship, his rule, that he shares with us all that he has received from the Father, our living members of him. Now he arms and equips us with power. Now he adorns us with his beauty, his magnificence. Now he enriches us with his wealth, not the economy of the world. These benefits give us the most fruitful occasion to glory and provide us with confidence to struggle fearlessly against the devil, sin, and death, because that's what we do. And finally, clothed with his righteousness, we valiantly rise above the world's reproaches. And just as he himself freely lavishes his gifts upon us so we in turn bring forth fruit to his glory and you know what that that does brings us right back into what it means that we're priests (laughs) what do we do with the fruit of his glory this right we're prophets priests kings that's who Jesus Christ is and that's who we are in him and that's the that's the call and mission of the church I think here about kingship is If you're royal, right? Your temptation is to be entitled and bratty. That's not what it is. Um, but, but what we are called to be is confident, right? Really duly confident, um, knowing that we, we shall not want, right? We shall not want. And in that confidence, then we learn, we learn how to exercise, speaking the word and truth, right? and offering ourselves living sacrifice because you know right what it takes to offer anytime take money for instance right this is what we're doing we're saying boy it's pretty nice to have money comes in real handy doesn't it but you make such a crummy lord right you're such an onerous despotic lord as soon as you do that with your money you're saying you are not the lord Right? I know the giver of good gifts, and I know the giver of good gifts gives manna consistently. I offer it, right? And it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a cruciformity that goes on there. I will not take this to myself. I will not worship this. There we go, right? So I, I, I think that um, one of the big takeaways from a kingly office or you know, we being a royal people is that we learn a little bit of due confidence, right? Holy, holy swagger, is what I like to say. Holy swagger. I think we should have that. I think our Lord makes people, even people who would, you know, by their own nature be real shy and timid, gives them gives them something to say and someone to be. Calls for good things. What do you guys want to say? Are those helpful things to think about? <clears throat> i think that in the west right now like these are these are best of times worst of times times for the church like the church has never been numerically stronger than it is right now the church has never grown it's just exploding right now where we are in the west we're seeing like tired weary christendom right um in love with everything, um, deflected by everything, and really, really, you know, we're seeing lampstands removed and we're tempted from our perspective to say, is Jesus really king? Are we really royal? He is, right? He is, as we, as we live into this, right? You've gotta, li- you've gotta live into it to receive it. As we live into it, I think that, uh, man, that's, that's balm to us. So humble means the, the nub of it, right? Uh, to 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 uh, have an honest estimation of who you are and who you are not. So it would not be humble for me to say it would not be humble for us to walk around as though we were aspiring kings and queens of, of the universe, right? There'd be an arrogant thing, nor is it humble for us to walk around and say, I'm a worm. Um, I'm worthless. I'm pathetic. <laughs> Maybe we can even say it like this in the garden, right? Where are you? I was afraid, right? So on and so forth. Then our Lord says, um, who told you you were naked? I love that because it's so obvious, right? Like, do I really need someone to tell Do you guys need someone to tell you you're naked? I think you pretty, pretty well know, right? Um, that's not the point. The point is who told you what this means and how you ought to respond to it, right? You could put so much there. You fill in the blank. Who told you that you were an aspiring queen of the universe? That's false, right? Who told you you were a scumbag? Who told you you were gay? Given that you really do struggle with same-sex attraction, who told you that you ought to receive it, uh, interpret it, and respond to it that way? Not me, right? It's not not that the the occasion isn't real. It's that that's not not the way you go. We have no more right to call ourselves scumbags than we do to call ourselves queens and kings of the universe. It's just not true of who we are. So humility is uh, a right estimation, right? In Jesus Christ, we are <laughs> infinitely loved and desired and delighted, and infinitely, right? Um, we being included in him uh, are beheld by the Father and adored by the Father as the living members of the Son. All of that is true, right? boy, that ought, that ought embolden us. Does that make sense? Who's teaching at 1030? Or 11, I mean. Nah. Um, what else? what I want to do next week. Um, so take those, those are, those are for next week. Um, I've got an exam to grade next week, so I had to do it up front. Um, let, let me just take like two minutes and show you something. Take, one, take, take notes and then take one of these. I got this from a a children's, um, a children's class. This is the cover of a book and I couldn't help it. I'm not trying to be crotchety. I'm not trying to do that. This is horrible, look at it. These people are ready for a day at the beach, right? They can't even muster up the enthusiasm to look at Jesus, <laughs> looking straight ahead. And they're saying, which way to life? And he, hey, there's a guy walking around in a white robe. He probably knows where life is. Let's pull up and ask him, right? Jesus is acting, well, go up there, right? They're obviously heading away from death, Go up there, right? Um, Twenty miles, exit thirty-eight. Go down two hundred yards, right, and then you'll find that place that is life. I am the resurrection and the life, right? I am. Nobody's, nobody's. There's no malfeasance here, but this is this is the way that often we teach the gospel, right? And, we, and what we what we learn to do is talk about Jesus as. Um, a cause, a condition, an agent that gives something apart from himself, and so we learn how to think about the entirety of the Christian life, where Jesus Christ is kind of in the background, he's making it all happen, but he's not the sum and substance of it. That changes the way we think about the church, that changes something so basic as, you know, what do we say when we're proclaiming the gospel? Like, what are we offering? (laughs) What has God given us authority to offer? So, Think on these things. Um, and then I wanna talk about what, what... Union with Christ is the biggest motif in the New Testament. What does it mean? What are some of the major characteristics of it? And you know how Bishop talked about you know, Psalm 23, is this too good to be true? You will struggle with this. <laughs> is this really what the gospel is? It'll, it'll, it'll stretch us so our hearts and our minds right? It'll really stretch us that what does it actually mean to be a living member of Jesus Christ, to be in Jesus Christ? Lovely stuff. So take that. Please bring it next time because I won't. Bless you guys.